Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Job. It's not Job. I get more Christians that want to know where the book of Job is. It's the book of Job. It's halfway in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have, if you don't have a, uh, a sermon uh, study guide, you'd like to have one and follow along with me and fill in the blanks and the notes, just lift up your hand and the ushers will get one to you. I was scuba diving in Cancun back in the early 90s and I spotted something I always wanted. You know, I see a lot of conch shells when I'm diving underwater, but not like this one. This was like a jewel. Uh, it was glowing on the bottom, and uh, I went all the way down and, and uh, retrieved it, brought it back to the hotel room, and uh, there cleaned it and uh, 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 polished it even more. I was so proud of it. I put it on the nightstand right next to, 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 to our bed, and the next day, the room the room had a smell it didn't have the day before. And uh, I, I, I was asking the maid about it. Uh, I seen her Rita, and I'm, she couldn't understand what I, and I finally went, pew-wee. And uh, she waved her finger at me and pointed in the room, and I couldn't figure her out. And my wife kept looking at me if I was the problem of the smell, of my dirty socks and the deodorant I was using or not using. And uh, we, he said, finally, it was getting so bad. We said, this hotel stinks, literally. It, and uh, finally, I brought up someone from the hotel. I don't know, it was Jose or whoever. Uh, and I said, your hotel stinks. He said, no, senor. And he came over to my conch shell, picked it up, says, you stink. <laughs> and he pointed in, I didn't know, dummy me. I just thought of shells as shells, as empty shells. I forgot that there was something alive, a conch. That's why they caught a conch shell inside the shell. And it had, of course, died days before and was now decaying and stinking so bad. Reminds me, though, you think I'm a dummy. How about the U.S. companies decades ago that got permission from the United States government to bury their toxic waste their hazardous uh, chemicals and materials in sealed containers way underground. And they got permission, believe it or not, from the U.S. government, thought that they had taken all the precautions, but it wasn't too long that those corrosive chemicals had broken through the containers, the steel containers. They had, it had resurfaced ruining vegetation, ruining the groundwater, the drinking water, forcing residents for countless miles to have to evacuate, move, because they were at risk to their health, to their very lives. The chemicals had become more dangerous now that they had resurfaced, if only these companies had dealt with it in the first place in the proper way of handling these toxic, hazardous materials, now that it had 
resurfaced now that it had mixed in the groundwater and the topsoil they had a much bigger problem you talk about a stink it's that way with our lives isn't it instead of trusting God to heal us from the hurts the offenses from others we hold on to anger we hold on to depression we hold on to self-condemnation we hold on to bitterness and we seal it up we cram it down we bury it deep within ourselves and our own leak-proof containers only to see it resurface as one of the worst spiritual emotional psychological toxins of all resentment Resentment. I'm here to tell you today, resentment stinks. It's a real profound word, isn't it? Resentment stinks. Just ask anyone who's ever held on to it. Just ask the one who grappled and wrestled with it here in the middle of the Bible. Just ask Job. Ask Job. This morning we share with you on Mother's Day the final, final message in my series, uh, The Fearsome Foursome. And uh, the, uh, there were the purple Peter, people eaters, there was the steel curtain, uh, there was the doomsday machine of the Dallas Cowboys, but there was no defensive line like the fearsome foursome of the L.A. Rams. The greatest defensive line in history, their one goal of the fearsome foursome was to keep the other team from victory. Satan has a fearsome foursome. We've preached on it. This is the final message in that series as we deal with resentment. Satan's strategy is to keep you and I, to keep your marriage, to keep your family from happiness, from joy, from real victory. And he uses his fearsome foursome in a strategic manner to do so. Today, a message on resentment that I've titled Toxic. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now, open minds, open hearts to receive what you are saying, what the Spirit is saying. Lord, to receive a thus saith the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Mark it down if you're taking notes this morning. Fill in the blank with me. In just two Bible chapters, Job loses everything, but he gains the toxins of unjust criticism and the poison of the most discouraging soulmate in the Bible. Chapter 1 of Job, Job's wiped out. He loses everything, even his own children. How does Job respond? Again, it's not the circumstances of life that's important. It's how you respond. How did Job respond? Job 1.21, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job stayed above it in chapter 1. You might say, well, at least Job had his health. Then turn the page. Look at chapter 2. Satan attacked Job from head to foot with festering sores, itching boils, head to foot. And his wife comes to him. She was a piece of work, wasn't she? How would you like 
Job's wife to visit you in the hospital while you're recuperating from surgery. She comes to Job in Job chapter 2 verse 9 and she says, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Wow, she's the sunshine lady in the hospital on... The only other time, the only other time the book of Job or even the Bible deals with Job's wife is in, in Job chapter 19 where Job says and writes, My breath is offensive to my wife. Yeah, you got it. She complained about his bad breath too. Oh, what a comfort she was. How did Job respond to his wife? Job says in Job 2.10, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we, accept, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? But if you've ever read the book of Job, things, circumstances, especially people, began to eat away at Job. His so-called three friends or three comforters show up. How would you like to have them at your bedside? There's sin in your life. That's what. That's why. You're sick. That's why God is punishing you. There's sin in your life. And they kept at it night and day, night and day. They took turns in accusing Job. Even though the Bible begins with the fact that Job was blameless. But it, get, it, it eats away at Job. It gnaws away at him until we find that Job is struggling with resentment towards these three friends. He's, of course, struggling with resentment towards his wife. He even struggles with resentment towards himself and ultimately God himself. Such is the story of Job. Job, in Job chapter 23, verse 8, if you doubt my word of his resentment towards God, Job says, if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Have you been there? Where are you, God? In all of this, where are you? See his resentment that he's grappling with? Write it down throughout most of the book of Job. Job grapples with the heavy-duty toxins of resentment towards others himself. And even God. Perhaps I'm talking to a soul this morning. And you're wrestling with resentment. It's robbing you of real hope and joy. It's ruining your health. It's poisoning your relationships. It's ruining your life. Well, I want you to know I come to you today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I come to you today with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you there's healing. <laughs> there's deliverance. There is real life when it comes to the poison of resentment, this toxin that would so like to ruin us and wreck our relationships 
and rob us of our joy. Let's look at the toxicity of resentment. Resentment is the inability to adjust emotionally and spiritually to hurting people, circumstances. It's an emotional prison built brick by brick, hurt by hurt, tear by tear. Many can't function at school, on the job, at home. Have you seen the way people have been driving lately? They can't even function behind the steering wheel. That's why we call it road rage when it comes to being resentful. Resentment's toxic poison pollutes people everywhere. They can even come to church with you and sit next to you in the pew. They'll, they can sit next to you at the restaurant table, at the restaurant uh, today. They might even be lying next to you in bed tonight. It's impossible to live life without being offended by someone. It's impossible to live life without hurts. Jesus spoke on this. Jesus said in Luke 17, it's impossible that no offenses should come. A cashier was checking out customers at the grocery store and uh, a lady was buying her groceries and she was carrying one of those big uh, suitcase purses that you women carry. Why are they so big? And the worst thing that I can ever hear from my wife is this. It's in my purse. Have you ever tried looking for something in a woman's purse? It's a cavernous black hole, but now I'm on a bunny trail. The cashier noticed uh, the woman opening her purse as the cashier said, cash, credit, or, or, or check. And, and the woman opened her purse, and, and there the cashier noticed the biggest, baddest TV remote control you can imagine. And the cashier said, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but uh, uh, ma'am, why are you carrying a TV remote control in your purse? She said, my husband and I had a fight this morning, and the most evil thing that I could do was steal his remote control. <laughs> I'm convinced that resentment Resentment reaches its most toxic level when we're hurt by those closest to us. Where have your hurts come from? Was it someone that professed to be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, who professed their love to you but ended up breaking your heart? Was it a brother or sister that you grew up with who constantly cut you down and denigrated you? Was it a parent who was abusive to you? In your rearing years, was it a relative who tragically molested you as a child? Who has been the source of your resentment? Who's hurt you? Was it a child that you brought to church consistently? You brought them to Sunday school. You brought them to foundations of the faith. You, you raised them in church, but today they shake their fist at you in rebellion and they thumb their nose at God. They want nothing to do with each. And it would so like to, 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 to steal the joy from your life and cause and the, 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 the ugly head of resentment to rear up in you. Attorneys will tell you that the most vicious cases are found in what kind of a court? Divorce court. 
The police will tell you the most dangerous calls are domestic violence calls. Historians will tell you that the most bloody wars are civil wars. Brother fighting against brother. Mark it down, if you would. The toxic nature of resentment is so lethal, it can be fatal to us physically, psychologically, and relationally. Research indicates that psychosomatic illnesses like ulcers, skin diseases, colitis, uh, heart ailments, and much more have all been linked to holding on to resentments. Dr. David Belgum writes, 75% of all hospital patients have physical illnesses that are rooted in the emotional cause of unforgiveness. Stanford University psychologist Fred Luskin writes, there's a lot of research on the negative effects of resentment. It makes you much more likely to have heart disease. It increases the risk of stress-related disorders. It raises your blood pressure. Wanting to hurt somebody is like pouring Drano into your own insides. No wonder I titled this message, Toxic. You see, resentment like acid damages the life in which it is stored and destroys the person on which it's poured. Such is the lethal nature of resentment. Yet the most lethal aspect of resentment's toxic nature is how it can poison our prayer life. How it can short-circuit the miraculous, what God wants to do in us, and even our very relationship with God. I didn't say this, Jesus did. Matthew chapter 14, 6, 14, Jesus said, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses, your sins, your faults. Did you see that? Just as long as you refuse to deal with your resentment, just that long your prayers will go unanswered. Just that long you will remain unforgiven. Resentment's toxic poison is so powerful if it's allowed to go unchecked, uncleansed, unforgiven, it'll send you to hell. I know I'm supposed to be politically correct. I know you won't hear that in a lot of churches, but I'm here to tell you this morning, if you think, if you think you can walk with God and at the same time hold on to resentment towards somebody or something, I'm here to tell you, you cannot walk with God. You're being deceived. You have fallen prey to the enemy's fearsome foursome. It will send you to hell. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And eternity's just a breath away. Stop fooling around with resentment. You can't beat it except for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. God's solution for resentments, toxic pollution, is real forgiveness. I put the word real in there because much of what is being taught, much of what is being conveyed and purveyed today regarding forgiveness is not the genuine article. I want to share with you real forgiveness, the power of real forgiveness this morning. Mark it down. Real forgiveness is an act of faith and not feelings. 
It's an act of faith and not feelings. I am going to be, I'm going to stereotype right now. I'm going to be slightly prejudicial. Men and women are different in this area called forgiveness. Guys can have it out with one another. They can go in back of the factory. They can punch it out, duke it out, and it's done. It's over. For men, forgiveness or getting over it is an event. For my dear ladies that I'm ministering to and honoring this morning, forgiveness is usually not an event. Wise is the man and the husband that understands that forgiveness for a woman is usually not an event, but a process. And it can be a long process. But ladies, hear your pastor. Process forgiveness is not the will, the word, or the way of God. Paul hit it on the head in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Get over it. Let it go. Do not give the devil a foothold. Footholds become strongholds. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. But pastor, I don't have the feelings of forgiveness for him. Should I forgive him if I don't have the feelings of forgiveness for him? Yes. Your feelings don't have anything to do with it. Your feelings really don't mean squat in this matter. That's pretty harsh, preacher. Listen, feelings, feelings are like Michigan weather. Now, what happens when a life is controlled and led by their feelings? You have chaos. You have confusion. That's right. In the train, in the train called your life, the locomotive should not be your emotions. It should not be your feelings. The train called life should be led by the locomotive of God's Word. Feelings are not important in this matter of forgiveness, though you have been deeply, deeply hurt, most probably. What is important is an act of your will. Forgiveness is an act of your will in response to the word of the Lord. Forgiveness is not an act of your feelings. It's an act of your will walking in faith in God's word. If God said it, I believe it, I receive it, that settles it, now I do it. And God says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. God says, get rid of bitterness and rage. God says, forgive now. But I don't feel the feelings of forgiveness. Who cares? If you will do it, the feelings will come. Your feelings are the caboose. If you go in God's direction, if you do it God's way, watch your feelings. Your emotions will catch up on the decision and the act of your will in the name of Jesus. Do you see that? Amen. 
Forgiveness is an act of your will, not your feelings. A husband was criticizing his wife as they were making the long drive from Detroit down to Florida. I know none of you have ever done that long drive from Detroit down to Florida. You can have some intense fellowship on that drive down I-75 south down to Florida, can't you? And he was criticizing the way she cooks, the way she cleans the house, and then to top it all off, he said, the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. You don't look like the woman that I married anymore. She didn't say a word. Probably have been better if she had said a word. Gentlemen, look out when they get quiet. She was taking that toxic poison called resentment and she was putting it in sealed uh, leak-proof containers. She thought it was leak-proof containers and she was burying it because she was a woman that believed that revenge is a dish best served cold. And he didn't know that he was going to have cold leftovers the next day. The next day they left the motel, continued their drive on down to Florida, and uh, as he was pulling out on the, the expressway, she said, is this all this car can do? You don't say that to a man. She said, is this well, as fast as you're going to go? You don't say that to a man. He put the pedal to the metal. He let that old baby roar. He, he was 65, 70, 75, 80, 85. Next thing you know, what's going behind the bubblegum machine? And she begins grinning. Police officer pulls over the man. He said, sir, did you realize how fast you were going? You were doing 85 miles, and I clocked you at 85. Uh, the man, the driver of the car said, Officer, I think your radar needs calibrating. Uh, 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 my cruise control was set on 60 miles an hour. His wife, just sitting there quietly, snickered and said, Honey, you know we don't have cruise control on this car. <laughs> Husband looked at her and said, Will you just keep quiet for once? The wife smiled at him and the officer and said, Honey, you can just be glad your radar detector went off when it did. The officer wrote now a second ticket for an illegal radar detector. The husband through clenched teeth said, Woman, will you just keep your mouth shut? The officer said, Sir, I notice you don't have your seatbelt on. Uh, that's an automatic $75 fine. The husband said, Well, officer, I took it off to, to, to grab my wallet, my, my, my license. Uh, his wife uh, uh, quietly said, Dear, you know you never wear a seatbelt when we're driving. <laughs> Ticket number three is written. The husband now shouts at the wife, Woman, why don't you just shut your trap? The officer looked down sympathetically and said, uh, uh, Dear ma'am, does your husband always talk to you this way? And she looked up at him grinning and said, Only when he's been drinking. <laughs> Only when he's been drinking. 
That leads me to my next point. Real forgiveness forgets. Real forgiveness forgets. Real forgiveness forgets. You might be sitting there this morning and saying, Pastor, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget what they did or said to me. I won't forget. My word to you, my counsel to you, and I've said it in my office, as people have said that to me, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Then I hope you never sin. Because God has not only forgiven you, God remembers your sins against you no more. And I'm so glad for that. God, there's one thing that God cannot do. God cannot remember our sins against us. The Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, this far God has removed our transgressions from us. How far is that? That's infinity. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God refuses to have children unlike Himself. You must forget as well as forgive. But pastor, preacher, the human mind is so amazing and so complex, it is impossible to forget. You can make a choice either to resent or to release. You can have a choice to remember with resentment as you look back on that, or you can look back on that with release in the name of Jesus. Mark it down. Choose to release rather than resent. Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. At this point, real forgiveness forbears. You see, real forgiveness not only forgives, forgets, it forbears, forbears. Remember when the prodigal son came back home after rebelling against his father and wasting his father's inheritance and spending all of his money on parties and prostitutes and ended up in the pig pen? When the son came home, did the father merely forgive him and then say, I'll forgive and forget, but you see that shack? out on the back 40, you got to live there the rest of your life. You ain't stepping foot in my house. I want nothing to do with you. Is that what the Father said? No. Colossians chapter 3 says, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Forbearance means if at all possible. If at all possible, you are not only to forgive, you are not only to forget. Forbearance means you're to take up relationship with that one again. If you shun them like they're a diseased leper, it's not true forgiveness. I know there's some situations Due to circumstances, this is impossible, especially when it's the death of the person who has wronged you. But if at all possible, you were to take up relationship with them. A Spanish newspaper ran 
an article for a father. Him and his son, adult son, had had a falling out. Him and his adult son, wait till I call for it, please. Him and his adult son had had a falling out and his father wanted to repair the damage, wanted to repair the destruction that resentment had poisoned their relationship with. And so the father took out a large ad in a Spanish newspaper in Spain. And he wrote this to his son, Paco. Dear Paco, meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. Did Paco show up? He not only showed up, but 800 other Pacos showed up. Both funny and sad. Seeking restoration with Dad. The Lord has forgiven you of your sin. The Lord has forgotten your sin. And the Lord now walks with you and talks with you. He keeps in relationship with you. Though you have rebelled, though you have wronged and you have hurt and you have grieved the heart of God, the Lord says nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. We're the most like people when we criticize and we judge. We're the most like animals when we kill. We're the most like God when we forgive, forget, and forbear. God calls us to forbearance. Write it down. Real forgiveness frees us from the victim mentality. I've heard dozens of counselees play the blame game. When a counselee plays the blame game, who do they usually blame for all of their problems, for all of the ills, the lost opportunities in life? Who do counselees usually play the blame game with and on? Who do they blame? Their parents. Oh, that's always a great one. I always sit back and I, I smile. If it wasn't for my parents, pastor, I'd have a better job. I'd have a better education. I'd have better opportunities. I wouldn't have married so-and-so if my parents had just said something. It's my parents. That's good freshman psychology, but that's lousy theology. You're playing the blame game. This pastor that you're looking at right now has pastored people that have been molested, used, and abused by their parents. But they have stood up and decided, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be a victim of yesterday's problems. I'm going to be a victor in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to allow my past to ruin all of my todays and all of my tomorrows. Sir, ma'am. Don't play the pity party. Don't play the blame game. Choices have consequences. If your parents didn't love you, I am truly and sincerely sorry. But you have a new heavenly father who desperately loves you. And he has shown his love 
to you by sending His only begotten Son to die for you. And if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have a new tomorrow. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, all things have become new. Now act like it. Your choices have consequences. Forgiveness is not necessarily for the person that has hurt you. Forgiveness is not necessarily for the person who has offended you. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness cleanses you. Forgiveness heals and frees you. John Stossel, John Stossel, I love his books. John Stossel writes in Myths, Legends, Lies, and Other Falsehoods. John Stossel writes of, of, of Eva Acor. Eva Acor and her identical twin sister were 10 years old holding hands with their mommy when they were brought by boxcar to the Nazi death camp called Auschwitz. And there, the SS spotted that those 10-year-old girls were identical twins. And they ripped them away from their mommy. Eva says, I can still remember my mommy screaming. I love you. I love you. As they, I was ripped away from my mommy, my sister and I. Why? Why did they never see their mommy again? Because as identical twins, if any of you know about the Nazi death camps, they were chosen for human guinea pigs to be experimented on by the Nazis. Eva was stretched out on a surgical table, and day after day, she said, blood was withdrawn from her left arm as the angel of death, Dr. Mangala, stood next to her, wanting to experiment on her and her twin sister to see how much blood a person would have to lose before they died. And he would speak to her day after day and said, soon you will die. Soon you will die. Soon you will die. Eva writes that something rose up in her. She said, I refuse to be a victim. Victims have no power. Victims have no control over circumstances. But victims cannot be robbed of one choice. The choice to either hate or forgive. And I chose to forgive my Nazi persecutors. Because her and her sister chose to be victors instead of victims through forgiveness. They not only survived Auschwitz, they thrived to give their testimony on ABC News today. Hallelujah for the power of forgiveness. Amen. Nobody can take your choice away to respond rightly. 
instead of responding wrongly. Choose to be a victor and not a victim. Forgiveness heals you. Forgiveness cleanses you. Forgiveness allows you to rise above the person who has hurt you. They're trying to control you with their hatred. They're trying to make you an ugly monster just like themselves. Choose to rise above that and say, in the name of Jesus, I will be a victor and not a victim. Write it down, real forgiveness includes forgiving yourself. I find forgiving ourselves is one of the most difficult acts of forgiveness there is. Countless people live with toxic resentments directed towards themselves because of the past, because of their behavior, because of their choices. Carl Megninker, that noted psychiatrist, he said, and I quote, if I could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. Wow. The power of forgiveness. I like the story of Martin Luther's dream, his nightmare of Satan. Satan appeared to Martin Luther to attack him in a dream, and Satan brought out a, a, a piece of paper, a scroll of paper, and said, Martin Luther, here are your sins. And Martin Luther said, didn't you forget something? There's got to be more. And Satan brought out a second one. And Martin Luther said, there's got to be more. And, and the devil brought out a third scroll of paper recounting all of Martin Luther's sins. Martin Luther boldly told Satan, old Slewfoot, you forgot something. Yes, those are my sins, but you forgot something. And uh, the devil said, what did I forget? Martin Luther said, you need to write on every one of those sins, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness and all sin. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! There's power in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> the blood has never and will never lose its power. It flows to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. If you've sinned, if you've messed up, uh, if you're in a pit of sin, I'm here to tell you this morning, there's no deep, dark, dank pit of sin that is so deep that His love, His grace, His mercy is not deeper still. His grace is greater than all of our sins. Forgive yourself in the name of Jesus. Forgiveness is never total until we forgive ourselves. You'll never be able to forgive others until you forgive yourself. Move into God's perspective of your life. Stop living in the shadow of a bad track record. When God looks down upon you, Christian, who does he see? When God looks down upon you, Christian, who does he see? When God looks down upon you, Christian, who does he see? When God looks down upon you, Christian, who does he see? Oh, man. Are you, I wouldn't come to your church. When God looks down upon you, Christian, who does he see? Now I'm a believer. Boy, say it like you mean it. And when God sees Jesus all over you and upon you and within you, God says, this is my child. 
in whom I'm well pleased. Yes, I love coming to your church. I just want to come to a church that's confident about Jesus. Jesus. This is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Number six this morning, write it down. Real forgiveness means forgiving the author of life. People have lived for years filled with toxic resentment over negative circumstances or tragedies they've experienced. Some have suffered the loss of things, their business, their finances, their, their houses, and have become bitter. Some have suffered the loss of a spouse, a loved one, a little child. And the poison, the acid of resentment towards that circumstance has consumed them. Even this day, they find it very difficult to come to church, to pray, to walk with God. Hear me in this. When we are angry at the circumstances of life, when we are resentful at life's circumstances, who are we resentful with? God. God. He's the author of life. He's our creator. I've had people ask me, well, Pastor Phil, isn't everything that happens God's will? No. No. There's a difference between God's intended will and God's permissive will. It is not God's will for an airplane of 150 people to crash into a mountain. It is not God's will for a tornado to destroy an entire city or a subdivision. It's not God's will for a little two-year-old girl to die of cancer. When God created this world and created everything in it, He said, it is perfect. It is very good. God never brought death, destruction, disease, sin or sickness into this planet. Who did? Satan. And who opened the door for Satan? Man. God has given you a free will. With that free will comes the power of choice. Choices have consequences. Stop blaming it on God. Poor choices lead to lousy consequences. Don't play the blame game with God. God's desire is what? Thus saith the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11. Hmm? What does it say? I have what? I have plans for you, saith the Lord, plans not to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope, and to give you, to give you life. Amen. This is God's intended will for you and I. Don't shake your fist at God. Don't allow resentment to grow up inside you towards God. There's some that have never spoken about their resentment with God uh, or asked, why, God? Why didn't you let that happen? I am so hurt over this. My dear wife sat with me at lunch yesterday and all of a sudden broke down crying. I said, what is wrong? And on the day before Mother's Day, she said, why did God 
let my 39-year-old daddy die and leave my mother with eight children. Life is going to be filled with why questions. Job had it. He never did find out in this life why God allowed so much suffering. All we know is that Job ends up saying, Though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. Yea, my Redeemer liveth. If you've got some resentment that you're grappling with with God, tell him about it. He's big enough to handle it. And then let him heal it. He understands it. And when we get over on the other side, Saint, when we get over on the other side, we used to sing an old song, we'll understand it by and by. Right now, we don't know the plan of God. And again, the biggest blame goes on old Slewfoot, the author of sin and sickness and all the problems that plague the world and man being a free moral agent. Our choices have consequences. Job struggled with the why, but he came forth as a victor and not a victim. Lastly, real forgiveness brings God's favor in your life. Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus said, listen to me, you can pray for anything, and if you believe you have it, it's yours. Wow, pastor, I love that. That preaches. Pastor, why didn't you preach the whole message about that this morning? I like that. I can pray for anything. And if I believe, I can have it. It's mine. Now that's the kind of sermon I'd like to hear. I am preaching it. What's the qualifier? If you want your prayers answered, if you want miracles in your life, if you want the double portion in your life, what's the qualifier? Look at the next verse. Jesus says, but when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins too. There it is. Are you binding the hands of God for a miracle in your experience? What do you mean? God's desire is healing, deliverance, provision, the double portion. But because of resentment, are you binding the hands of God? The book of Job ends up with Job being told by God that God's in control of all things. And not to worry about it. That everything's going to be all right. And then God said, here's the answer. I want you to pray for your three friends that have hurt you. And when Job prayed the prayer of forgiveness for the three so-called comforters that had so offended and hurt him and accused him, what happened? The double portion came down upon Job. The last chapter of Job's life not only did he get the double portion in the here and now, he got the applause of heaven on that final day. Will you hear the applause of heaven? Job was asked to pray for those that had so deeply hurt him. I want you to know, mommy, daddy, young people, if you don't have children, you're going to find out one day. I think we're the most vulnerable to resentment's toxic poison when our children go bad. 
We brought them to Sunday school. We brought them to church. We brought them to kids' church. We made sure they were in the programs of the church, the youth ministry. But somehow, somewhere, our kids rebelled. And it has so broken our heart. And I submit to you, after decades now of ministry, that we're the most vulnerable to resentment when those that we have given life to have so hurt us. That could have been the experience of Curtis Kelly and his mom. Curtis Kelly will tell you that at age four, at age four, he can clearly remember hearing the voices already at age four of demons. Demons. Demons telling him that he could enjoy a high, a real high, just like his older brothers, if he'd follow their pathway and, and do drugs. At age 10, he was already a crackhead, hooked on cocaine at age 10. As a teenager, he had broken the law in and out of jail already so many times, broken his mommy's heart. But she did not allow resentment to poison her spirit day in and day out. This woman hunkered down and sought God in intercessory prayer, calling out the name of her son in prayer. She would even at night, uh, he writes today, even at night she'd come into his bedroom, lay her hand upon his forehead, anointed with oil, and claim him through the power of the cross. Claim him. For his ministerial calling she felt that he was being called into the ministry she named it and claimed it by faith age 15 he was in a bar and he heard the demon voices again the demon voices told him whispered into his spirit if you want the high of all highs you need to mix together a cocktail mixture of drugs on top of your crack cocaine. You need to, 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 to mix these drugs with, with, with alcohol and you'll have the buzz of all buzzes. As soon as he took this lethal mixture, he said, I saw the floorboards of the bar floor open up and demons came up out of the floor and dragged me down into hell where they began to tear at me and gnaw at me and torment me. But just then, a light pierced the darkness and this blazing hand reached down in the bowels of hell and picked me up out of hell. And he said, I heard this booming voice pierce the darkness. You have been spared because of the prayers of your mother as he was taken up out of hell. It was soon after that he gave his life and heart to Jesus Christ. And today, to make a long story short, it's no longer Curtis Kelly. It is Bishop Curtis Kelly, the pastor of one of our largest churches in Los Angeles, California, who just wrote a book, uh, Bound to Lose but Destined to Win. Bound to Lose but Destined to Win. Because of a praying mother who chose not to respond with resentment but to respond with prayer will that be your story you have a choice
to resent or to release. Father, in the name of Jesus, Spirit of God, breathe, 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 O Holy Spirit, upon us. Revive and refresh, renew, restore here this morning. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed on this Mother's Day. And the Holy Spirit of God is knocking upon your heart's door. The Spirit of God would say to you, don't wait, don't wait, don't wait for tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're not sure you're right with God and you want to be sure, if you're not sure that you have a home in heaven and you want to be certain, I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you would like to be included in this prayer that will change your eternal destination, if you want to be included in this prayer I'm about to pray, just lift up your hand right now. Just lift it up so that I can see it as a symbol of your faith. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. Amen. Amen. How many more this morning? Lift it up high. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands up on the balcony. God bless you. How many more? Lift it up high. Lift it up high. You're not just lifting it up for me. You're lifting it up for Jesus. He sees your hand. God bless you, young lady. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you, mom. I see that hand. God bless you, couple. Thank you for lifting up your hands to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Keep those hands up. Keep them up right now. Everyone pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray it out loud in unison, especially you that have your hands lifted up. Put your heart into what you're about to pray. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you and I confess I am a sinner. But Jesus, you are my Savior. Save my soul. Cleanse me. Change me. Make me brand new. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I need that life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me, for changing me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In the name of Jesus, I believe this as I receive this. Amen.